Wonderful. If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke 17. Luke 17, we're going to start at verse 52 today. You remember last week, we began looking at this passage when the Pharisees asked Jesus, when the kingdom of God will come. When the kingdom of God will come. And if you remember, Jesus turns and says to them, that the kingdom won't come in waves that can be observed. Why? Because the kingdom was already there. The kingdom was already there in their midst, standing right before them in the King of Kings, as we've just sang, the Lord Jesus himself. Though if you remember, we only said that the kingdom wasn't fully established on the earth. It was only here in part and still today is only here in part and won't be fully established until Jesus returns, which is the focus of our time together this morning. So join with me, Luke 17, and I'll start at verse 20 just to give the context from last week. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look here, or look here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from, from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is in the on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be one in the bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Oh, my heavenly father. Lord, I'm sure... I speak for us all here, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we would like to speak of joy and peace and love and, and grace 
and have a happy time in our studies. But Lord, there are times where we have to tackle the reality of things to come. They're not always easy to understand. They're not always easy to accept. But Lord, we know you are a loving God. So we come to this passage today with anticipation, but also apprehension. And I just pray, Lord, that you help us as we guide, as we walk through this passage today. Reveal your truth to us. But Lord, for us here today who are believers, help us to always remember the hope and the joy that we have as being safe in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's no greater anticipation, is there, than uh, that which surrounds Christ's return, particularly in the heart of believers. We read about it in scripture and in books by those who have gone before, before us. We read about it uh, or we sing about it in the songs. We, we just sang King of Kings there, didn't we? We sing about this day in our songs. People have written poems about it. There have been plays and dramas done about it. There's even been films made about it. But it's also a subject that has seen its fair share of controversy because people don't like to hear about the consequences of his second coming to those who have rejected Christ in this life. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Case for Christ, he says, for this time, as in the second coming, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will, it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into the hearts of every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. Yeah. <laughs> Strong words, but truthful words. Today there are five observations that I'd like to make about this uh, challenging yet important event as Jesus has described to us in the word of God. The first is that humanity will not miss the king's arrival. Humanity will not miss the king's arrival. In verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. The disciples had followed Jesus, and we've been on this for a couple of years now, and we've walked with the disciples as they've learned what Jesus has taught, just like we have. They've walked and followed Jesus throughout his ministry, but here, Jesus was pre-warning them of a time when he won't be with them. Why? Because he would have ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven after his death, and his resurrection. Now, they may not realise it at this moment, but they will come to long to see the Son of Man return, to see Jesus 
return. And they themselves, just like the Pharisees did, will look for signs of his coming. This looking for signs continues today, does it not? As it has done for the last 2,000 years, and it will continue until Christ actually does return. Is it the Ukraine war? Is that a sign of his return or returning? Is it, or could it be the conflict in Israel? Is that a sign? Could it be the collapse in moral standards that we're observing, particularly in the West? Is that a sign? Now, yeah, they are signs. Read Matthew 24. We haven't got a chance to get into it this morning. But go and have a cup of coffee over Matthew 24. They are signs of the end times. But are they signs of his immediate coming? That's the question. Yes, there are prophecies of his coming. And yes, there are signs that the time is growing closer. But remember what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel. He says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. We do not know that exact time, the exact moment when this will happen. But I would suggest this isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because it keeps us alert. Does it not? It keeps us alert keeps us with this ever-present anticipation, this ever-present urgency to, to, to be mission-focused, if you will, to continue to, to be Christ's hands and feet in this world. Unfortunately, though, Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples that they won't be alive on the earth when this happens. And though we may long for it to happen we also may not be alive on the earth in our current state when Jesus returns. Jesus goes on to warn the disciples by saying in verse 23, and they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. What do you think Jesus is referring to here? It's a bit more expanded in, particularly in Matthew's Gospel. Luke only mentions it briefly here. But what do you think Jesus is referring to here? False, false Christs. False Christs. Jesus is pre-warning his disciples that there will be those who come who will claim that they are the Messiah. They are the Christ. And he says, do not be drawn in by it. Do not be drawn in by it. A warning that is still so relevant to us today because even in our lifetime we have seen self-proclaimed Christs who have many followers. <coughs> many followers. Oh, I've lost my clicker. The clicker's gone. There we go. Does anyone know who this is? Anyone seen him before? Alvero Theus. Alvero Theus, the once Brazilian astrologer, believes he is Christ reincarnated. 
He has 330,000, they estimate, followers around the world. 330,000 followers. He once predicted, it is said, that the end of the world would happen in 2012. When it didn't, he changed that to it only ended for those who died in 2012. <laughs> I can only present. This is what Jesus is, is talking about. There are those that will come who claim they are the Christ. Anyone know who this is? There used to be, I don't know if it's there, but this, there's a documentary on Netflix or Amazon Prime about this guy. Sergei, if I've pronounced this right, Sergei Torop, I think his name is, a once traffic policeman from Russia before he had an awakening and believed that he was the incarnation of Christ to the world. And he's currently got 50,000, they estimate, followers. And they live on a big, big estate over in Russia way somewhere. So this is even happening in our day. Now, are these the same Christs that Jesus refers to? Read Matthew 24. Make your own mind up. So how will we know what the true Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, when will we know that he has actually arrived? Have you ever pondered that? You may know the passages and you might sit and go, what would that actually be like? Well, Jesus says in verse 24, he gives us a glimpse. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Now there are two defining attributes of lightning. The first Jesus alludes to is bright, isn't it? Lightning is bright. The second is it's instantaneous. You don't see it coming. You might hear the, the, the rumble from thunder, but you don't see the lightning until it's boom, it's there. See, unlike these false Christs who I've just shown you to have woken up one day and for whatever reason, whatever their circumstances, started to proclaim their heresies, Jesus' return will be much, much different. Much different. Nothing the world has ever seen. Christ's return will be sudden and visible for all people all over the world to see at the same time. None will miss it. And however many people might, none will avoid it. None will avoid it. The SV commentary captures the essence of this moment. It says, like lightning, the Son of Man's arrival will be sudden, eye-catching, glorious, frightening, and celestial. Now just ponder that for a moment. The world has never seen such a moment, but it's coming. The unfortunate truth, though, is that many will be caught out by his return. Many will be caught out. Those who have 
throughout their life brushed, or who are still in the world, is still, still alive at that time this is, who have just brushed the gospel message and invitation of salvation off as it's some sort of, I don't know, child story. And they've just gone on and just remained consumed in their own world with their own wants, their own desires, enjoying everything the world has to offer without a care for who actually provided the world in their life in the first place. This brings me on to my second observation I want to make today. Life continues till the end, like the previous times. Life will continue to the end, just like the previous times. Verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, for those familiar with the story of the catastrophic flood that destroyed the world and the destruction of Sodom, you will know that both judgments were brought about by God because of human sin and human wickedness. But what's interesting here is that Jesus' focus isn't on the corruption and the evil of humans as is normally the case when we consider these two events. That doesn't seem to be his focus here. But instead, Jesus seems to be focusing on the day-to-day activities of humans, both in the, uh, in the world in, in relation to the flood and also in Sodom, with, with regard to his judgment there. He mentions people eating and people drinking and marrying and buying and selling and planting. Everyday activities things we do, isn't it? There's, there's no different there to what we see observed today. And that's, they're okay. These things are fine. It's part of the world that God created, as long as we're always giving him the glory, there's nothing wrong with anything that we read here. The problem is, though, and we've said this many, many times, people are enjoying indul- indulging in all life has to offer without God, without acknowledgement to God, without giving God the glory for all of the things that we have in this life, even the breath in our lungs, without a desire in their heart to repent and turn back to God, their creator. That's the problem. You see, the, the, the issue is that those alive before the flood and those alive in Sodom before the burning sulfur rained down from heaven all likely believed that life would just carry on just like it did every other day. 
People in Jesus' day believed this. And there are people here today who believe this in our time. We fall into this complacent mindset, don't we? Thinking that the sun will rise and the sun will set just like it does every day. That we will go to bed and we'll wake up tomorrow just like we do every other day. We'll go to work, school, see family, see friends, sit on our phones, go for a beer. We'll just do everything that we often do and what we do in our life because, well, life just carries on, doesn't it? That is what people think. But 2 Peter 3, 4 gives us an insight into this very thing. Peter says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Do we not see that today? And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is it? You promise it, but where is it? For ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That was happening back then, and it still happens today. Even we as Christians can find it hard to comprehend what a global flood would look like. Can you comprehend that? I can't. What burning sulfur falling from heaven looks like. Can you comprehend that? Do you know burning sulfur burns blue when reacted to pure oxygen? Do you know that? It's beautiful to watch. How can something so beautiful when it burns be so destructive? I can't comprehend what that would be like, particularly for those in Sodom at that time. So it's no wonder that many in the world find it hard to believe that a day is coming when life, as we know it, will come to an end so dramatically. It's hard for us to comprehend that. And the result of this is the biblical warnings and the Christians' proclamations about this coming day are just brushed off as stories or brushed off as scaremongering. But a day, or this mindset, will come to bite them. It will come to bite them. Peter confirms this a few slides on in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, but the day the Lord will come like a thief. Again, another glimpse into how quickly it will come. You won't know it's coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved. And this is it here. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Will be exposed. This brings me to my third observation today. On that day, the true king of our heart will be exposed. The true king of our heart will be exposed. Verse 31 
On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Now, I just want to mention here, um, there are those who, who see a comparison here between um, the, the end of days, when the, on the, the day of the Lord, and also the uh, AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, there could be a balance, there could be a crossover here. There definitely is in Luke 21 when we get there. So we'll, we'll wrestle with that once we, once we actually get to Luke 21. We're only in 17 at the minute, okay? But there could be a, there could be a, 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 um, a bridge here. But I would suggest not, only because of the terminology that Jesus is using, particularly around goods in here. And let me explain. So the two illustrations that Jesus gives here are intended... I would suggest to reveal the focus of our affection. The focus of our affection, i.e. what or who is the king of our heart? What or who is the king of our heart? You see, if someone's primary thought on the day of the Lord's return is to go home, which Jesus says here, do not do, Jesus is saying that it reveals that those possessions that they're returning for or, or family that they're returning for or friends that they're returning for may be more central in their heart than the Lord's coming or the Lord's return, should I say, or the Lord full stop. It's interesting that Jesus encourages them to remember Lot's wife who after being warned by the angels not to look back at Sodom's destruction, looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. Why? Why did that happen? Why did she turn back? The truth is we don't really know because scripture doesn't tell us why she looked back. Was it maybe because she longed for a home? Was it because her whole life, her possessions were there? Maybe because she still had family there or cousins or whomever they may be. Maybe she just loved the city. We don't know why she looked back. But what we do know is she did not wholeheartedly obey the Lord's command given through the angels to run and do not look back. And she suffered divine judgment because of it. The simple truth is, it all comes down to what each individual human seeks and desires in their heart. And it is individual. We all won't be saved here today because we're all here worshipping on a Sunday morning as a collective. It is individual. What each of you believe in your heart. If someone follows the same example 
of Lot's wife, then the harsh but righteous reality is that their life will be lost when the king returns. That's why Jesus mentions Lot's wife here. But for those who have truly, honestly, wholeheartedly surrendered their life for Jesus before this day of the Lord, those who long for Jesus' return, who have loved Jesus with all their heart as their greatest treasure, will find true life and will be saved on this day. Just like Noah and just like Lot. This brings me to my penultimate observation this morning. The judgment of the king will be righteous and true. The judgment of the king will be righteous and true. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night there will be two in in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The simple truth is that amongst us humans, it is not always easy to know who is righteous and who is wicked. Can you tell? It's not always easy. A lot of the time you can't tell just by looking. Not even can you tell at times with just speaking to someone or observing their actions. Although their actions is a good indicator and their speaking is a good indication. But we never truly know their heart. God does. We can't. You can even have people in churches who say all the right words, sing all the right songs, amen the preacher and pray, but who still are distant in their heart from God. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 21, 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, yes, this is coming off the back of false preachers, but read it carefully. It's not just talking about false preachers. It's talking about the body of Christ. There are people who do all the right things and sell the right things but are still distant in their heart from the Lord. But on the Lord's day, it will be clear for all to see who is genuine and who is not. Who is truly surrendered to Jesus and who is not because there will be a visible separation. A visible separation. Those who belong to the Son of Man through repentance and faith in him will be separated by those who have rejected him. 
and no one can argue with that outcome. No one can stand and argue. Not one. Because Christ will look directly into your heart and he will know who is number one. He will know. So you can argue until you're blue in the face. It won't make a jot bit of difference. The only way it will is if your lips and your words are aligned with the treasure in your heart. That's why spending time with the Lord is so important. That is why surrendering every day to him is so important. Spending time in his word is so important and prayer. And the reason we don't do those things often or every day is because, like I said before, We've slipped into the way the world works. Oh, life will just keep going. We'll just do the same thing, same thing. But I'm busy. That's not an excuse. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but saying I haven't got time to spend you know, time in God's word or praying to him because I'm busy, that's not an excuse and it won't live up on, on the day the Lord returns. We don't give up God and the Bible and scripture and prayer because we're busy. We give something else up. But then we have this peculiar verse where the disciples seem to ask Jesus a random question asking where this will happen. You would expect them to say when. When will this happen, Lord? But they ask where. Could it be they were interested in the physical location of Jesus' return? Maybe. Could it be that they were asking where these people were being taken? Again, maybe. But the truth is, I don't know. And the, the, uh, the commentaries that I, that I went to explore to see if they had any inclination, they all said, don't know. It's, just, it's one of those puzzling questions. And that's okay. We can't know everything. And nor does God expect us to know everything. But Jesus seems to ignore their question anyway. And he replies to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. To which I would suggest this is a vivid and harrowing picture of the judgment that will fall upon the righteous, the unrighteous. Vultures don't often fly around the living, do they? They're creatures of death. They fly where the death is. This brings me to my last point. See, it's all pretty hard going, isn't it? when we start thinking about this day and the consequences of this day and for those of our loved ones who may not know the Lord yet, my hope is that it gives us a bit of urgency to think, how, how can I share? How can I reach them? Lord, give me the courage and the boldness to share with them. But until that day, there is always hope. There is always hope. Praise God there is. Jesus has, as we've just seen, Jesus has been sharing with his disciples a glimpse into what will come to pass when he returns. A challenging and unimaginable day. 
But in and amongst this depiction, he declares the lifeline that is available to all humankind, a lifeline that will save those who grab it before the terrors of this day. He says back in verse 25, but first, before all of this happens, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. Friends, if Jesus hadn't come to the earth, if he hadn't suffered at the hands of the Romans and died on the cross and and raised to new life three days later, then every one of us would suffer the wrath of God on this day of the Lord because we will still all be dead in our sins. But Christ Jesus, being the once and for all pure, spotless sacrifice, went to the cross on our behalf, on our place, in our place, and took upon himself God's punishment and provided everybody, everybody, a way out. Everybody. And because of this, every individual person on this planet who has heard the gospel has a choice. Everybody that has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ has a choice. To repent and accept Jesus by faith as Lord of their life and live their life dedicated to serving him That's choice one. Choice two, you reject the cross. You reject the lamb. You reject salvation and suffer the consequences, I'm sorry to say, of eternity in hell and separation from God, your creator. Harsh but true. Which have you chosen? Not which have you told me, or you've told your neighbour, what have you chosen in your heart? Be careful of your words. Ask God to reveal your heart. What have you chosen in your heart? Is he first in your life? Or what will you choose out of those two if you are here today and you haven't given your life to Christ? I implore you, do so. Do so before it's too late. Come and speak to us. Let us guide you on this. If you haven't got a Bible, I'll give you a Bible. I gave someone a Bible last week. We'll guide you to where where to, to start reading, to try and learn a bit more about Jesus and his claims. But what will you choose? It's your choice. I can't make it for you. It's down to you. Can I invite the band up, please? Friends, if, if I'm honest with you, I do not find preaching these end-of-days passages easy. Um, probably more than you dislike hearing them. Because it's not easy to hear, is it? It would be wonderful if every single person we knew on the planet was saved. We knew in our life was saved. Because then hearing this, it'd be like, well, that's all right, because everyone I know is going, ooh. But the reality is it's not, the, it's not that simple, is it? And that's hard. 
That's why these passages are hard. But I pray with the Holy Spirit's help that it encourages us to start thinking how we can share the good news of Jesus with them. No, I don't like preaching these tough passages. Not because I can't do them, but because of the content. But the simple truth is that we must keep preaching them. And we must keep hearing them because it is real and it's coming one day. If it wasn't important, Jesus wouldn't have taught it, would he? If it wasn't important that Jesus wouldn't have come and gone to the cross, he wouldn't have come and provided an escape route. That shows how much God loves us, his created creatures, and wants all to be on the right side on that coming day, to have made the right choice. So let's remember lessons we've learned today. Humanity will not miss the king's arrival. We will not miss the king's arrival. Life will continue to the end, just like it's done all the other times. There is a catastrophic destruction in the world or of the world. On that day, the true king of our heart will be exposed. The judgment of the king will be righteous and true. But friends, until that day arrives, there is always, always hope because of the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen.